two guys were walking along and we're talking and the one said to his buddy, he said, if you found a penny on the ground, would you bend over and pick it up? His buddy said, if I saw a hundred dollar bill on the ground, I wouldn't bend over and pick it up. He said, you that rich? He said, no, I'm so poor it wouldn't make any difference. (laughs) Well, today, whether you feel rich or whether you feel poor, we're studying what God's word says about giving to him and the, the title of the message is, I want you to tithe so I can reward you. And it's, it's a promise out of Malachi chapter 3. And, and today I'm especially speaking to those who have already committed their lives to Christ and, and consider Batesville Christian Church your church home. It's our responsibility to underwrite our investment in, in our mission to love God, love people, impact the world. We don't expect or suggest that others share in the costs of carrying out our mission. In fact, if you're viewing online or visiting our service or seeking and exploring the claims of Christ, you are just the person that we members are sacrificing financially to help. We want to bless you. So feel free to relax and, and listen in as we study God's word on this topic and I'm speaking to his followers about the, the blessings that accompany honoring God with that first portion of our income. Long before Moses was given the Old Testament law, God established the tithe and, and each of his followers was to give back to the Lord's work a, a tithe, which is 10% of his or her income. That was an across the board starting place for all people rich or poor, young or old, in debt or out of debt. It was for everyone. And this covered the related ministry needs, and it provided ample money to assist with benevolent needs as they arose. More than some legalistic command, it reflected faith, a trusting reliance on God to provide. It reflected worship, It was an outpouring of gratitude to God. It reflected partnership. We were asking God to help us wisely steward the funds that he has provided. So the question I want us to each ask ourselves today is, do I trust God enough to return to him the first 10% of my income? My prayer is that When you better understand the blessing of following God in this way, you'll begin to tithe starting today. And there are three principles that I want us to explore this morning. The the first principle is that tithing taps into God's economy. Uh, It it said in, in Acts 20, verse 35, Jesus made this statement, it is more blessed to give then receive. It says, in everything I, I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the work, must help the weak, remembering the words of our Lord Jesus himself, who said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So the question really is, how blessed do I want to be? Do you want God to bless you or curse you for the way you respond to him? In Malachi chapter 3 will provide us some context beginning in, in verse 8. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. And then God goes on to say, 
bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And then listen to verse 11. I will prevent pests from destroying your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. He talks about a, a blessing that accompanied tithing and, and a, a cost, a, a curse for defying him on that. There's a, a piece that was written by Schuyler Harrison entitled, The Years of Living Dangerously. It says 12 reasons that anyone over 39 is lucky to be alive. So if you're over 39, see if you lived dangerously. The first one is, look, Ma, no helmet. Until the mid-70s, bike helmets were practically unheard of. Kids' heads often went unprotected in the early days of skateboarding as well. It's dangerous. Secondhand smoke. The article says, even in the Mad Men era, when primetime commercials for cigarettes were relentless, Many parents urge their children not to smoke, often while chain-smoking in the presence of their children. No one studied or talked about the effects of secondhand smoke until the early 1990s. Dangerous. Another was easy access to poison. Child-resistant packaging wasn't legally required until the end of 1970 when President Nixon signed the Poison Prevention Packaging Act. Before that, even toddlers could open containers of everything from prescription drugs to Drano. The Agent Zero M Sonic Blaster, the, the James Bond craze of the mid-60s, inspired a wave of toys for junior secret agents, including Mattel's Zero M Sonic Blaster. And held near the ear, this bazooka-like air gun issued a burst of sound so loud that it could damage a kid's hearing. What about minimal sun protection? Back when sunscreen was called suntan lotion, few parents paid attention to the sun protection factor. But before 1972, the SPF didn't even appear on the container. For adults and children alike, the goal was a deep, dark tan, sometimes facilitated by Crisco or Johnson's baby oil, SPF zero. Another dangerous trend was optional seatbelts. The federal law required cars to become equipped with seatbelts in 1968, but that didn't necessarily mean that people wore them, and many didn't bother to buckle their seatbelts until states enacted their own laws in the 1980s. Car seats for small children were often optional around that time. How about being left unattended? The term helicopter parenting was not a buzz phrase in the 60s or 70s. Kids were routinely left to fend for themselves, and these days a parent who leaves a child alone in a car is asking to be arrested. The Gilbert chemistry set included 56 chemicals such as ammonium nitrate, which is a key ingredient, I'm told, in homemade bombs, and I don't have any personal experience with that, but the, the poisonous flammable potassium uh, permanganate. And, and so all, all these items were, including sets of radioactive uranium ore, were contained in, in the 1960s 
and, and were not reined in until the Toxic Substance Control Act of 1976. How about lead paint? Although lead paint hasn't been used in houses since 1978, kids growing up before that were most likely exposed. And even baby cribs were coated with the sweet-tasting lead paint, this toxin that damages the brain and, and the kidneys. I bet most of us have played jarts before, throwing those lawn darts with the assisted weighted spears in your own backyard seemed like such fun. But jarts were banned in 1988 after 6,700 emergency room visits and the death of three children. Going without a cell phone, before the advent of cell phones, teens were increasingly independent, going their own way without being electronically tethered to their parents. And Miraculously, the world survived. The final one is death trap playgrounds. Instead of mulch or a, a thick cushion of shredded tires, old school playgrounds were cushioned with asphalt paving and filled with hot searing metal. Uh, on the other hand, the New York Times recently reported that today's ultra safe playgrounds may be stunting children's development. We didn't realize it at the time, but most of us were living dangerously and didn't even know it. In Malachi 3, God cautioned the Israelites to the danger of ignoring his clear teaching and his expectation of the tithe. It's dangerous to rob God of our tithes. We operate apart from his blessing. We disrespect our Heavenly Father when we ignore his instructions. I don't think he's going to smite someone who doesn't tithe. You remember Jim Carrey in the, the movie Bruce Almighty when he said, smite me, O mighty smiter. I don't think that's going to happen, but we are operating without his favor, without his blessing, without his guidance. And we selfishly jeopardize not inviting God's involvement and blessing present as we operate our lives in, in disobedience and distance. Well, let me give you this analogy. If a father tells his son or daughter, I want you to mow the yard, and in return for your help, I will give you an allowance of $20 each week. If the son or daughter doesn't mow the yard, should the father still give that allowance? I don't think so. That would only foster a spoiled child and why would you reward his or her defiance? That disobedience prevents the father from providing all the blessings he wants to give his child. In Malachi 3.10, God says, if his people give him a tenth, he will pull out all the stops to, to bless them physically. God actually gives his people permission to test him in their giving. That Hebrew word for test means examine. God says, check me out and, and see if my word isn't reliable. And today, I, I challenge you to test God in this as, as he has requested. I, I want you to try tithing for the next three months and, and see if it works. And, and I feel certain you will experience God providing and, and guiding Jesus repeats God's promise of blessing in, in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. He said, give and it will be given to you. A, a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. 
Jesus says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. That's a big blessing. I call this the Mongolian barbecue verse. Do you ever eat at the Mongolian barbecue? There used to be a great restaurant in, in Mason, Ohio, and, and it's gone out of business. And at the time, you, you could get one bowl and you could pile it with everything you wanted to create your own stir fry. And I would see people walking back to their table with this, you know, foot and a half arching mound of, of food that had been strategically piled in there. And they had pressed it down, shaken it together. It was running over. They were getting their money's worth and then some. That's probably why Mongolian barbecue went out of business, I'm, I'm guessing. But Jesus says the measure you use to give will be measured to you. God indicates that he returns blessings in proportion to the spirit in which you give it. The, the more you give it, the more you will receive. And so if that's the truth, why doesn't every Christian tithe? Some might be afraid that God won't really keep his word. We, we have the, the resource that we want you to take with you today, the book, Take God at His, his Word. And these are uh, all throughout the building. Grab a, a free copy of this and, and, and be reading uh, the teaching, the that corresponds to our, our series right now. And so, although you might be afraid to admit that, sometimes our actions indicate the attitude that we really don't think God can come through and we're reluctant to take God at his word. There are passages on the rewards of giving that show God wants to work through us, but we must first trust him to provide. I think that the second principle I want us to catch today is that Tithing is still God's plan for today. Tithing was common to the first century Christians. Both Jewish Christians and Gentile converts practiced the Old Testament teaching of, of tithing. Tithing is referred to over 50 times in Scripture. The word tithe is found 13 times. Tithes, plural, 13 times. The, the tithe, 25 times. The, the New Testament refers to tithing in the life of Jesus with the Pharisees, and that teaching was never rescinded. And the impact of Old Testament teaching for us isn't to be ignored. We're not under the law, Paul told Timothy, that, that all Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Tithing was instituted before the, the law of Moses, Abraham tithed, Jacob tithed before Moses. Tithing symbolizes gratitude to God. Giving that first tenth back to him suggests that God actually owns the whole. Tithing demonstrates our, our faith in God to control our finances. And giving a tenth back to the source of our blessing signifies our gratitude. In many cases, immediately after the first harvest, the owner would give a tithe to God, this first fruit giving. So the, the farmer's out harvesting his field. He makes that first pass around the field, and, and then he stopped and, and had a worship service and, and said, Lord, I thank you for providing this harvest. I am grateful. And in faith, I'm giving the very first portion of it back to you, even before the harvest is safely in the barn. I, I'm trusting you to provide. And that was a response of gratitude, a response of of faith. Examples of first fruit giving are found throughout the Bible, but Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 
It says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. This concept of first fruits was understood by those Old Testament Jews who farmed. There in that agrarian community, your, your future well-being was dependent on a successful harvest. And so what happens now when Christians live in suburbia? How do we give God our first fruits today? Well, we deposit our earnings and we write the very first check to the church, God's storehouse, before we take care of any of our other financial obligations. More and more people are taking advantage of the automatic bill payment, the electronic way of giving to God, and, and that's the same opportunity to make God your first responsibility by pre-authorizing a, a weekly, bi-weekly, or monthly withdrawal that goes directly to Batesville Christian Church. We, we put him first at the top of our list, our main priority as an expression of faith, and ask him to provide for our needs. Tithing helps us stay on track spiritually. When we put our treasure where God wants it to be, our hearts will follow, Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've come to discover that I'd rather live on 90% of my income with God's blessing than on 100% of my income without God's blessing. And many of you have discovered that truth as well. So let's review. First principle, tithing taps into God's economy. Second principle, tithing is still God's plan for today. And the third principle I want you to, to capture is that tithing assures great blessings from God. God pours out blessings from heaven as we obey him by tithing. God promises abundant physical provision. We saw that in that Malachi 3 passage. Jesus promises to care for our, our physical needs when we put him first as our first priority. Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount, verses 31 through 33. He said, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first, there's that priority, first fruits, first gift, first priority. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things, these other concerns that we all have that are legitimate concerns. What am I going to eat? What am I going to drink? Where am I going to live? What am I going to wear? will fall into place, will be given to you as well. And so if, if everyone tithed, the Lord's work would thrive. Do you realize that in America, the average contribution by, by Christians and American churches is approximately 2.5% of our annual income? That's a quarter of the tithe which God has prescribed. That means if every Christian in America would begin to tithe today, then the giving in every church would quadruple overnight. Can you imagine the, the attitude and the excitement of a church where there's that generous spirit in common? It's contagious. And God encourages us to, to test him in tithing and see if he won't provide. He, he tells us to be prepared to receive unbelievable blessings. Sometimes our discontent emerges from our impatience. Our indulgence 
can emerge from an entitlement mentality, which is this evil insinuation, well, I deserve this now. And so we purchase large items on credit that we should have postponed buying until we had saved the cash. And then from our errant handling of the money entrusted to us by God, we can be tempted to remove God from the equation and withhold our tithes so that we can catch up on paying for the wrong stuff or too much stuff or the right stuff at the wrong time. Some people ask the question, is it necessary to tithe to to give 10% of my income today? Isn't tithing just an Old Testament principle? Uh, Besides, I want to concentrate on paying down my debts, and then later I'll I'll begin to tithe for some reason. I love the way that that Bob Russell responds. He said, in the Old Testament, God commanded his people to tithe. 10% of their crops and flocks were returned to God by even the poorest Jew. In our era, he has given us Jesus Christ, grace, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of the church, the privilege of living in the most affluent nation in the world, plus so many personal blessings. Yet when we ask, how much should we give? He just says, give as you have been prospered. You decide whether you think you should give more or less than a tithe. True giving emerges from a heart that loves God. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. In gratitude, we must come to rely on him to sustain us, to provide for us, to to give us the ability to earn an income. So with a faith promise gift, you give what God provides. If God doesn't provide in this next year, you're not responsible to give. It's a covenant asking and relying on God to supply and then honoring him by returning that first portion to perpetuate his kingdom here on earth. And the way that's done is we're prayerfully asking, Lord, how much would you have me give? Uh, I don't know my income for next year exactly, what my opportunities will be. I think I can safely afford to do this. I'd like to give more with your help and provision. What number are you putting on my heart? And then let that reflect the stretch of, of faith, a partnership, asking him to provide that, and then you'll give that. And God instituted this system of underwriting the cost of his work as early as Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. That's 4,000 years before Christ was born is when this formula of tithing went into place. Very simply, giving the first 10% of one's income back to the Lord. So if you earn $25,000 a year, that means giving $2,500 a year would be a tithe. That's about $50 a week. If you are making $50,000 a year, that means giving $5,000 back to God, about $100 a week. If you're blessed to earn $100,000 a year, that means giving $10,000 annually to the Lord, or about $200 a week. The tithe was the starting place for even the poorest Jew. There were offerings shared above and beyond the tithe. And those are our moments when we move beyond the level of tithing 
and we move to a level of, of generosity. There's a, a yellow envelope that uh, I think is in your, your bulletin today, and we have those scattered around. It's talking about a, an offering we're taking up uh, to bless one of our, our missions, uh, Mahoning Valley Camp. And it's to help renovate the, uh, the, the chapel so that it can be utilized year-round. That's an opportunity for generous giving above and beyond our, our tithe to help a, a worthy cause. And Tony is going to talk more about that at the end of our service today and update you on the great work that's, that's happening with that project and through the camp. So next week, I want you to bring that yellow envelope back and, and with it include a, a gift that reflects generosity. The highest level of giving beyond tithing, beyond generosity, is the level of sacrificial giving. And that's where it really costs you something. You're giving up something of value because you want to, to help something uh, in a sacrificial way. So we're challenging you to, to honor uh, the way the Macedonian Christians honored the Lord. Remember, when they first gave themselves to the Lord. The tithe is a good place to begin giving for Christians, but it's a bad place to end. And as we grow in our dedication and worship to God, we will grow in our giving to him. Putting God first in our finances shows his priority in our lives. Giving to God first shows our trust in him, our dependence on him. And I believe that God wants to be our partner in handling the material wealth he has entrusted us to, to steward. God doesn't need our money, but he is using our money to teach us spiritual lessons about faith, about reliance on him, about contentment, about gratitude. So Christian stewardship is, is not a fundraising exercise of the church as much as it is a character-building exercise for Christians. Does God come first in my life? is the question he wants us to ask ourselves. I believe that most Christians want to give God more money uh, and practice greater generosity in their worship through giving. But stifling that for some is this overcommitment to consumer debt. I think that the number one reason why churches struggle to finance their outreach programming is because of Christians' personal debt commitments constricting generous giving. In January, we are going to offer the, the Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University course, which will be a great tool to help you get your own personal finances in, in better order and, and be able to manage and steward the, the money that God's provided. So look forward to that here shortly and, and take those steps to trust God and, and partner with God in your giving and, and, and seek his, his blessing. We'll need God's help to overcome our financial problems. If we want to have his partnership and involvement in every step of the solution, we need to involve him and, and honor him first. He's not abandoned us because of our sinful, undisciplined choices. And like with any type of sin, he alone can deliver us from it. So let me ask you a question. What is your credit rating with God? Do you give in a regular pattern as you earn money? Or is it more sporadic, hit or miss, affected by your attendance trajectory? Luke chapter 12, 21 says that a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth for self, but not be rich in relationship 
with God. God wants to liberate us from even a greater debt than our money debt. He wants to liberate us from a moral debt. You can die with millions in the bank, but if you are bankrupt morally, you lose for all eternity. Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? So this morning, we invite you to put Jesus first in every area of your life, to make him your leader, to, to follow where he leads you. Billy Graham once said, if a person gets his attitude toward money straight, it will help him straighten out almost every other area of his life. And I agree. It's a lordship issue. Do we have the right attitude toward money? Are we trusting God or are we trusting in our finances? Most people are more than willing to trust God for our eternal salvation. But when it comes to the area of finances, many start getting a little bit nervous. The first step for many will be a change in attitude and this acknowledgement of the sovereignty of God in our finances. God, I want to do this your way. I want your wisdom. I want your guidance. I want your partnership. I want your blessings in my life. Martin Luther said there are three conversions, the conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the purse. And until we learn to trust God with our money, we aren't really converted. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. We're going to lead into a time of, of decision. If you need to respond to the Lord, giving him your life first, that's, that's the first and foremost important thing.